What's up, world? I'm Cameron McKinney. This is Pop Culture Spotlight, a podcast about actor Mark Ruffalo in the movie Stan and Ollie. But first, let's talk about actor Mark Ruffalo, who, in my opinion, is one of the best supporting actors of all time. No, Mark Ruffalo is not a leading man in Hollywood. You do not put Mark Ruffalo as a lead in your movie and expect it to be a huge hit. But he is one of those actors who I would put in the category with Jonah Hill, whereas he is playing opposite another big star or in an ensemble movie. He is going to be the best part of that movie, potentially. Let's go all the way back to 2004, when Mark Ruffalo was in a movie with Kate Winslet and Jim Carrey called Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. He is insanely good in that movie with Kirsten Dunst. It is one of the best performances of his career. It, it's it's really insane, the chemistry that him and Dunst have in that movie, and it's a small part of the movie. Like He's probably in like 25 minutes of that two-and-a-half-hour movie movie and you're like, wow, I need more Mark Ruffalo in my life. I think that's what really gets you thinking when I think Mark Ruffalo is, I could really use more Mark Ruffalo in this movie. Zodiac with Jake Gyllenhaal, the first time on screen with Robert Downey Jr. He's working with David Fincher, one of my favorite directors ever, and Mark Ruffalo is the absolute best thing about the movie Zodiac. I love Jake Gyllenhaal's performance in it. Chloe Seneva is great in it too, but Mark Ruffalo takes the cake as the best performance in that movie even with Robert Downey Jr. doing Robert Downey Jr. things and again we've seen that partnership time and time again now this decade Mark Ruffalo won the movie Zodiac to me that shows you how good Mark Ruffalo is as an actor it is in the movie the kids are all right Julianne Moore is in that movie Annette Benning is in that movie so many great Josh Hutcherson is in that movie Mia Vosikoska is in that movie I talked about her performance in that movie on this podcast a few weeks ago Mark Ruffalo is the absolute best thing in that movie. Again, whatever he's doing in that movie, I can't even explain it. It's one of those things you just have to watch and you go, wow, that is one of the best acting performances of the decade. I recently listened to an interview about that movie with him, and he said he worked on that movie for six days. That, in his essence, is what Mark Ruffalo is in that movie. The kids are all right, and he got his first Oscar nomination also that year, he started in a little-known movie that I think we all remember, Shutter Island with Martin Scorsese and Leonardo DiCaprio. That movie's also nuts. He's one of the best things in that movie. Like, Mark Ruffalo is just money in the bank in this decade. Then he has a small part in the movie Date Night. He plays Steve Carell's best friend who's getting divorced, which makes Steve Carell want to go on a date night. It's a small part. It's also a memorable part. Mark Ruffalo can play any part in a movie. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Zodiac, The Kids Are Alright, Shutter Island, Day Night. It doesn't matter how big a role he has in that movie. Mark Ruffalo is going to have an extremely big impact on that major motion picture. And I think that's the best thing I can say about Mark Ruffalo. He can fit in any movie, in any genre. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is basically a romantic comedy. Zodiac is a thriller. The Kids Are Alright is a comedy, basically. Shutter Island is a horror movie. Date Night is a comedy. He can fit in all of those bubbles so well. And then you have Avengers. He eventually is in Avengers. He's Hulk. He replaces Ed Norton. He becomes a superhero. I think also what I love about Mark Ruffalo is he goes back and forth between 
big time movies and small movies. He can be in Avengers and he's one of the best things in that movie. And then he can go and make The Kids Are All Right or he can make Date Night. He can make smaller movies and then he can be in another big blockbuster like Now You See Me with Jesse Eisenberg, Woody Harrelson, Isla Fisher. He can go back and forth between these big, big movies and he can go and do these smaller movies and win a war. I love Robert Downey Jr., but I read somewhere that Robert Downey Jr. hasn't played a character not named Tony Stark since 2014, and that makes me sad. The fact that Mark Ruffalo continues to work in movies outside of the Avengers universe since joining it is a great thing. Since he became the Hulk, he's been in a movie called Begin Again, which is my absolute favorite Mark Ruffalo performance. He's in that movie with Kieran Knightley. He is playing a burned out music producer who's seen the end of his glory days and is trying to make pure music. It is the best movie on Mark Ruffalo's resume. Then he gets nominated for another Oscar for Foxcatcher along with C. Carell and Channing Tatum. This is another magnificent performance as Mark Ruffalo. He plays a wrestler. He's a, again, this is based on a real story. That movie is an intense movie, but Mark Ruffalo is absolutely the best thing for that movie. Him and Steve Carell in that movie, that's an all-time. That's one of the best movies of the decade. Then you have Spotlight. Mark Ruffalo's a third Oscar nomination. In his three Oscar-nominated roles, there is no similarities between the movies. The kids are all right. He is playing a joyful guy. Foxcatcher, he's playing a wrestler. Spotlight, he's playing a journalism. There is no pattern or rhyme or reason to Mark Ruffalo's career. I think he is a pure artist. I am a big fan of Mark Ruffalo if you're not getting my, getting what I'm saying here. He is one of the best actors of the decade. How many actors can have this resume where he can be in these big, big movies, these Avenger movies, and he can still make Foxcatcher, Spotlight, Begin Again, Date Night, Shutter Island. The kids are all right. Zodiac, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Think about the directors he's worked with. Martin Scorsese, <laughs> David Fincher. These are the biggest directors in Hollywood. There is a reason they are putting Mark Ruffalo in his movies. Mark Ruffalo is one of the best actors of our generation. He's not Leonardo DiCaprio. He's not Brad Pitt. He's not a leading man. But like a guy like Jonah Hill, he is one of the best supporting actors we have in Hollywood today. And I, I'm hoping, I, I really enjoy him as the Hulk. I do enjoy him. But Mark Ruffalo is a lot better in movies like The Kids Are Alright or Spotlight or Foxcatcher. He just is. He fits in that world better than the superhero movie world. And I also like the fact that he can do other big budget movies like Now You See Me. Now You See Me is a fun movie to watch. It's not something I always want Mark Ruffalo in. He is better in these smaller movies with huge ideas like Eternal Sunshine, Spotless Mind, Kids Are Alright, Shutter Island. His performance in that is spectacular. When I think of Ruffalo, I think of a guy who transforms for his roles in Spotlight. He's doing a completely different voice. The same thing can be said in Zodiac, where he's a police detective. Spotlight, he's a he's a reporter. He's an investigative reporter. I mean, the way he transformed for Foxcatcher to become a wrestler, I just think it's nuts what he's doing. Shutter Island, he's doing a different voice. I think if you're an actor coming out today, the career I would most want to emulate is a one like Ruffalo, where he can be in big box office blast and can still be artistic. Like, you can have the best of both worlds, because in today's reality, you are going to have to pick between those two worlds. I mean, you can be in these great independent movies, but if 
nobody sees them. What's the point? Mark Ruffalo has been in these smaller movies and people have seen them because he's been in the Hulk, because he's been in Now You See Me, because he's been in Shutter Island and because he's worked with some of the best directors. So if you want a career like this, I think Mark Ruffalo is one of the best careers you could possibly have in all Hollywood. And I, for one, am rooting for Mark Ruffalo hard to sooner rather than later win an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. It's probably going to be from the supporting category. Again, I really haven't seen him be a lead in much things. Spotlight's like an ensemble thing. Foxcatcher's like an ensemble thing. He, he hasn't really been the lead of a movie. I don't really know if he can do that. But in supporting roles, there is no doubt in my mind he's one of the best in the world. And the only other guy I can really compare him to of my generation is Jonah Hill with movies like Moneyball and Wolf of Wall Street. That's the only other guy who's in that category of like supporting actor who just kills in every movie he's in. Again, finally, these are the list of movies you need to see if you want to be a fan of Mark Ruffalo like I am. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Zodiac, The Kids Are Alright, Shutter Island, Day Night, Begin Again, Foxcatcher, Spotlight, Now You See Me in Avengers. And the one that I'm rooting for you hard to watch the most is Begin Again. It's got an all-time Mark Ruffalo, an all-time Kira Knightley performance, an early Haley Steinfeld performance, and even CeeLo Green is in the movie in an interesting way, but it is the best acting I've seen Ruffalo do. Again, he's playing a down-in-the-dumps music producer who's really down on life. He's dealing with alcoholism, he's dealing with divorce, and he just wants to make pure music. Sounds like an actor I know, Mark Ruffalo, who just wants to be in pure and fascinating movies. He's had one heck of a career being in the Hulk movies, nominated for free Oscars. Mark Ruffalo, watch his movies, root for the guy. He's one of the best actors of all time, and he's one of the best actors of this past decade. Mark Ruffalo, one of the great. In gears, let's talk about Stan and Ollie, a movie starring John C. Riley and Steve Coogan as Oliver Hardy and Stanley Laurel, the comedy duo of the 1930s into the 1950s. The movie goes in between both of those timelines, the height of their fame and the dwindling of their fame, and deals with their friendship. I thought this was a really good movie, and it was good for a lot of things, but the thing I liked most about it is it wasn't a boring biopic about why Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy were a comedy duo, why they were funny. It wasn't a silly comedy. I thought it might be because John C. Riley is in it and he normally does silly comedies with Will Ferrell and Steve Coogan has also been in those silly comedies with Will Ferrell. But this movie was a pleasant surprise because it was about something real, I think, and something interesting. And I'm going to go into that and other things about this movie that I liked a lot. And the first thing is John C. Riley. I think the thing about John C. Riley that I find so special is that he can form a duo, an acting duo in a movie with just about any actor and they will be known as a good duo. So this is the one that he's formed in movies. He's formed with Mark Wahlberg in Boogie Nights, with Will Ferrell in a lot of his movies with Joaquin Phoenix and the Sister Brothers that I talked about and now Steve Coogan in this one. I mean, is there no one this guy can have chemistry with and form a real friend? It feels like a real friendship from the beginning of the movie. And the fact that he can be silly in a duo with uh, Will Ferrell and then play serious with Joaquin Phoenix and now with Steve Coogan, he's kind of doing both because in this movie, John C. Riley, who's known for being silly, is playing Oliver Hardy and he's playing a comedic duo 
well, but there are some real raw, intense moments in this movies about their friendship and whether or not it was real and whether or not they were a real partnership. And those are intense moments for a movie you'd think is going to be about a silly partnership that you don't really care about. I mean, me personally, I didn't know much about this comedy duo. I was interested because Steve Coogan and John C. Riley were in it. But again, the magnificent thing about John C. Riley, again, he could form a duo with Mark Wahlberg, Will Ferrell, Joaquin Phoenix, and now Steve Coogan. That is a very different group of actors. And the fact that we think about them as like all of them, he has chemistry with all four of those people is kind of nuts. Now I want to talk about Steve Coogan. For those of you who really don't know Steve Coogan, he's playing Stanley Laurel in this movie. He's been great for years in movies like Night at the Museum, where he pairs with Owen Wilson, Tropic Thunder with Ben Stiller again, the other guys, Philomania was his like Oscar movie with Judy Dench, which was insanely good when I saw it the first time. He wrote Philomania. I just have huge amounts of respect for Steve Coogan. I don't really know his comedy outside of those movies. I know he's famous in Britain for all that stuff, but his movie career in this one, the other guys with Will Ferrell. That was the first time I really saw him. And then he was in, again, Night at the Museum, where he's he's like the gladiator guy next to Owen Wilson's cowboy. Then he's in Tropic Dunder, where he's the director. He's a small role in that movie. So he's worked with Ben Stiller quite a few times. And then, again, Philomania, his character in that. And, I mean, that's just, that's just one of the best movies I've seen. And Steve Coogan really makes good movies. He really does. For those of you not paying attention to this, Steve Coogan is probably a better actor than you think and is probably in a lot better movies than you know him for. And I just thought that duo was so interesting. They kind of just fit him and John C. Riley as Laurel and Hardy. You just believed it. I don't know. It was it, w- it really made the movie work how good they were together and how how good he could be without him in the movie too. I mean, you, I really was expecting more from John C. Riley, but I like the Steve Coogan performance just as well, if not better, than John C. Riley in this one. I really thought Steve Coogan carried the movie for me. The thing I find most interesting about the movie is that... It, There's a part in the movie where they're going on tour and they're going to do their comedy act for the first time in years. And everyone in the movie is making comments about their age. And why are you guys still doing this? I think this shows this dwindling side of fame. That people who are famous think that it's going to last forever. I think this is a real thing that happens in American culture, particularly. And they were in Europe in this movie, and they were going on, and they were being like, oh, we're back. You should all care about this. Why aren't we at the biggest theaters? Why aren't we sold out? This is our big return. And the fact is that people move on. Fame can feel so real to people. I think this is something that I've figured out from watching movies and being into all this stuff is that it doesn't last. The people that last are there for their creative instincts. They're not there to be famous. The fact that Laurel and Hardy thought that just because they were going to be funny again meant that everyone was going to come back and make a big deal about their return. And people didn't end up showing up in the movie until they were, again, trying to get attention for what they were doing, which can feel dishonest at times. I think this movie has some really interesting things to say about being famous and what that can do to you, especially as a duo. I think it deals with issues like loyalty, friendship, aging, sharing credit for success, which is something I didn't think a movie about Laurel and Hardy was going to get into. But this idea that Laurel is like, I wrote all the things, all you did was act in it. And then there's, spoiler alert, there's one movie 
that Hardy does without Laurel, and that creates a real rift between the two of them. And I thought this was a real intense moment. Hardy cannot understand why Laurel is still mad at him. And then he says, I wrote everything. And then the one time I needed you to be there for me, you weren't. And then Hardy was like, you were being unreasonable, which we all know that most people who are famous can sometimes be unreasonable about money. I just thought this was a fascinating way that the director of this movie, John Baird, looked into these things. He looked a silly movie about Laurel and Hardy was about some serious issues that I'm fascinated by. All of those things are interesting. All of those things are intense. All of those things are real. How loyal should a duo be? What is fame? Again, how unreasonable should a guy be about being famous? And sharing credit for success. These are all real moral issues that I got out of this movie. And I think everyone else would too. And that's the best thing I can say about it. You go into it thinking, oh, do I really care about Laurel and Hardy? Do I really care about these like Charlie Chaplin looking guys who were funny at some point? Or is this going to be a bore fest? And then it turns out to be interesting and real and about something. That's what movies are all about to me. I didn't expect to like this movie as much as I did, but it was about things that I was interested in. Yes, I'm not really that interested about the career path of Laurel and Hardy. I don't really get their humor. But these things are still modernly interesting. Again, loyalty, friendship, aging, sharing credit, success, money, fame. Their marriages are discussed in this movie. They've been divorced. They're way more interesting than I thought they were going to be. And the fact that the director looked at stuff that you wouldn't think about when you think about Laurel and Hardy. It wasn't just a laugh fest because a movie like this could really be a celebration of these two and it's a laugh fest. Some of it is kind of like that, but most of the movie is about something real, interesting, and fascinating. And for that, it deserves a lot of credit because when you see John C. Riley in a duo movie, you think this could be like the Sherlock movie he made with Will Ferrell and this could be a complete joke. No, this movie is tasteful, this movie is good, this movie is decent, and there's a reason John C. Riley was nominated for a Golden Globe for this, because he was playing a real guy, and another thing that it was dealing with was him aging, his hardy character was aging, and he didn't want to go on, and eventually he makes the decision to keep going on tour because of his love of it. I think the two of them were being obsessed by fame. And then in this movie, they find the love of it again. The love of it is them working together and them being funny. The business side of things can ruin Hollywood relationships. I think that is a real thing that happens a lot. And that's why most duos, that's why bands break up in America a lot. Who wrote the song? Who's performing the song? Who's getting credit for the song? Actors and their directors, and who's getting credit for this, and who's getting credit for that. I think this is a real thing. And again, for a movie, a silly movie about Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy to deal with all of these real and fascinating issues, the most interesting thing I can say about this movie, and why you should all definitely watch this movie. The last thing I'll say about the movie is that I'm so happy it wasn't a boring movie about how they got famous. It is a movie about their relationship and how it evolved over time. And one of the most fascinating things about this movie is that I learned that they were paired by the studio. They weren't friends. They didn't pick each other. And that's why questions about their friendship come up. Were the two of them friends because Hollywood designed them to be this comedic duo? The fact that Oliver Hardy did a movie without Stan Laurel 
probably made Stan think that he was replaceable because of the studio he was and to Oliver Hardy he was. And then there's another moment in the movie where John C. Riley's Oliver Hardy gets sick and the, the company wants Stan Laurel to do their comedy show with someone else also. And in that moment, you think Stan Laurel might do that to Oliver Hardy because Oliver Hardy did that to him. And instead, Stan Laurel takes the high ground and said, no, that's my friend. He's sick. I'm not going on without him. I'm going back to America with him and we're going to do... And then they end up doing shows together again. I just thought to connect those moments, that was so great for the movie to do. It's about a friendship and how it evolved. And it's a question about were they friends? And eventually they were friends, but it's interesting to think about it. I thought this movie was a fascinating watch. Steve Coogan is great. John C. Riley is great. Director John Baird was great at directing it. I think this was one of the surprise movies. I usually not be this surprised by a movie and liking it this much. I enjoyed Stan and Ollie, and I think you should all, you all would too, you should definitely watch Stan and Ollie. Thanks again for listening to this edition of Pop Culture Spotlight. I'm Cameron McKinney. There will be a new episode of Pop Culture Spotlight every Thursday on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. And don't forget to also check out the Chatter Podcast Network, home of this podcast, Pop Culture Spotlight, and my sports podcast, Head to Head. That's Chatter Podcast Network on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. Thanks again for listening to this edition of Pop Culture Spotlight. And please rate, review, and subscribe. This week I put the spotlight on actor Mark Ruffalo in the movie Stan and Ollie. Next week I'm putting the spotlight on actress Michelle Williams in the movie Late Night starring Emma Thompson and Mindy Kaling. Tune into this, tune into that, and thanks again and please rate, review, and subscribe. Subscribe.